Today's episode is brought to you by Taft Law and its Franchise Advance Program, a one-of-a-kind program developed by your host, Josh Brown, to help entrepreneurs assess, convert, and grow your business the right way through sound franchise structures. To learn more, go to taftlaw.com and type Franchise Advance Program in the search bar. If you think like, act like, or are trying to grow like a franchise, then the Franchise Euphoria podcast is for you. Hello and welcome everybody. Josh Brown here. And I created this podcast for one main goal, to help people who are trying to grow their business through franchising or franchise-like structures to do it the right way. I've been practicing law now as a franchise lawyer for many, many years, and I've seen it done the right way and the wrong way. And this podcast is not filled with a bunch of legal mumbo jumbo. Rather, I talk with real people, people who have been there, have done it, are doing it right now. And I also dive deep into specific topics related to franchising. So if this is of interest to you, you are at the right place. Enjoy. On today's episode of Franchise Euphoria, I have Eric Casabury, who started retro fitness in the heart of the 2008 recession, experiencing unexpected and unprecedented growth during what was otherwise described as dark or bad economic times. He eventually grew retro fitness to 150 plus locations nationwide. Today, Casabury is the public spotlight once more as the founder and CEO of the country's first anti-aging franchise brand, Serotonin Centers, also launched during the roughest of economic times, the heart of the 2020 pandemic. Welcome to the show, Eric. How are you doing? Hi, Josh. Thanks for having me. You're just a glutton for punishment, aren't you? (laughs) I like a challenge. You launch these companies in these in these uh, challenging times, which, you know, it's funny. It, it, it kind of tells me a lot about you just without even knowing you with meeting you for the first time. And that is you're, you must be an optimistic type guy. You must be somebody that sees opportunity when there's downturn or opportunity um, when there are significant events uh, that other people may look. You know, when they zig, you're zagging. I mean, is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I, I actually would tell you that it's it's rather accurate. I would tell you that um, I didn't choose those those uh, outstanding items, but I'm a, I'm a speaker of optimism often. Yes, uh, you are correct with that assessment. I will also tell you that you can't choose certain things that happen in your life or in business, especially the timing, uh, but you could choose how you react to them and how you react off of them. And for for us, I felt that it was a huge opportunity in those businesses and those brands um, to begin scaling. I, I don't think we ever had saw brick and mortar rent deals as good as we did in that, in the 2008 era. Um, we may see them again. Now we may see some better deals again, which I'm really excited about. Uh, and I think if people were prepared to take control of their own destiny, which is you know the nature of owning your own business and franchising, um, that becomes a good investment advantage when you have that option. So let's talk about your beginning. How did you how did you get in to uh, starting retro fitness? What led to that? And then how does that dovetail over into serotonin centers? So I've been a fitness enthusiast my whole life uh, since uh, early teens. I've always exercised and worked out. I've gotten to 
working out in gyms at a very young age. I was an athlete and I wanted to have a gym membership at a big fitness center. And uh, so my mother had said, well, if you go work there, the membership's free. So go get a job. <laughs> and that's kind of what I did. So I worked at my first fitness center at a pretty young age. I learned a lot about uh, urinal cakes and uh, how to clean a toilet bowl. And then uh, I graduated to... Very important uh, thing. You know, Very important thing. Yes. Well, yeah. If you, if you know anything about you know, Starbucks or McDonald's, they'll, they'll tell you the same. Very important things. Uh, but yeah, I was a big fitness enthusiast. I loved it. Um, I, I Actually, my funny story is uh, my first personal training certificate I received um, when I shouldn't have. I, I actually lied about my age to get going to the course and I got certified as a trainer. And I just wanted the education. I wanted the information really personally for me so I could work out you know, better and smarter. Um, but it really... I spent a lot of time working with clients at, a, at, at my early years, one on one, and I, I enjoyed the, the experience with them and watching them change and have these great results. Uh, and I also enjoyed the money I was making from it. And then I got into college and I studied exercise science, and I and I uh, found out then that you know college and I didn't agree well with each other. I wasn't really a student of, of that type of curriculum. I did love to study, I did love to read, but it, I, certain certain content didn't matter. It didn't, didn't, I just didn't do well in that environment. Um, I only went to college to play sports. I was I had a scholarship for football. So I kind of I worked through that until I had my first injury and then came back and said, okay, what do I really want to do? And the opportunity to open up my first fitness center came up and that's how it all started. So, How'd you come? Going I'm just forward. curious. How'd you come up? How'd you come up with the name retro fitness? What was the idea behind that in terms of that name? So there's really a twofold meaning behind that, and I and I leveraged both of it. So retro fitness was two things. So retro was a throwback, right? So our first branding stuff was a throwback to when, and one of our taglines was when to when gyms were affordable, and that we, we made a big play on that. And a lot of our earlier marketing material was stuff from like the '80s, and we had checkered floors and black and white. So. You know, every certain period of time is a retro. You go back in time. So we would use like Rubik's Cubes on our marketing or a pair of Vans sneakers or an Atari joystick because I wanted to emotionally connect to who my target audience was, which was then was Generation X. And they grew up with those things. Uh, but also you could retrofit your body too, right? So there was another dual meaning when I created that brand that I knew I could leverage both ways. So you start this, you obviously have some success. Eventually, you grow this to over 150 locations. At that point, do you sell? Did you sell at that point? Or how did, how did you make the exit from retro? So actually, I still have uh, a, a good ownership stake in retro. I sit on the board there. I have private equity in that company. I had private equity coming really early, actually, probably earlier than most would. So, so some maybe budding franchisors that might be listening to this, I had private equity come in in uh, 2008 for the first time. It was a big firm, probably too big for my size at the time, but uh, I, I didn't know what I didn't know. It was a wonderful ride. I learned a lot. And uh, Well, that's so right out of the gate, this. though. That's right out of the gate. Like, yeah, it was. Yeah, we, we launched in, in 06. Well, really, 04, I created the brand and trademarked everything. 05, we opened up our first my first gym converted to retro. And then 06, we started really moving into that, that franchising universe. And then, yeah, it was very early. It was two years into it and, and an opportunity uh, came to me. I wasn't looking for it. And it worked out really interestingly. I learned a lot. And then today, um, we've got a great executive team there. So I stepped down in 2019 as the CEO of that brand so I could go and start the serotonin brand. 
So let's talk about that since that's the focus of today's you know conversations. The the serotonin centers, which you launched in the heart of the pandemic, 2020. Um, before we dive into what serotonin centers, what they are, what they do, what what sort of purpose they serve and and need they fill, um, how did you come up with the idea? So being in the health and fitness industry for as many years as I was, I was always very frustrated with a lot of the challenges that the industry had around retention and attrition issues and solving um, real health challenges because we didn't have the tools. We just didn't have – it wasn't the makeup of that industry and that business to be able to solve at the level we saw that in a medical practice. Um, but I always saw the disconnect as a client, as a consumer, and as a an owner and operator of these businesses where – Clients and members would come in and they maybe would join the gym for whatever reason, most because they wanted to aesthetically look better, they wanted to lose weight, or some people would come in because a doctor had said, Hey, you better lose weight, you have you're pre-diabetic, or hey, you've got you know the early markings of cardiovascular disease, you need to exercise of high cholesterol. But there would be no real prescription to that. There would be no real data behind that, no blood work, no or no one that was qualified to even analyze it if we did receive it, right? Because, you know, the staff there is, you know, they're good at what they do, their exercise, you know, physiologists, maybe they're just trainers with a, a certification. Um, but that doesn't qualify or allow for us to kind of integrate well with medicine or the other side of someone's life. So you have these two different worlds for a person that never connected ever. And, and today they're still bifurcated. So for me, that was a huge frustration because people would cancel their gym memberships because they weren't seeing results. Well, they weren't seeing results not because it doesn't work, but because they didn't have the right plan, the right protocol, and because it wasn't really based on science. It was based on... I mean, let's be honest. We, they probably you know, weren't seeing their results because they were going and working out for 10 minutes and then going to McDonald's afterwards. I mean, well, you know, they might have... <laughs> yeah, they, 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 changing lifestyle habits is a part of it, right? And the people that have success, they do that. They do it well. But also, as you age, you know, you also... So, t- remember 20 years ago, 25 years ago, when I first started in the, in the fitness business, in 1997, I opened my first gym. Um, that clientele was a great clientele. Like that was Generation X. If they looked at a treadmill, they'd lose fat. If they looked at a dumbbell, they'd gain a muscle. They started to age. They're now in their 40s. And that's where we're seeing the most significant amount of you know, hormone decline, especially uh, in males and, and well, and females, I should say too. So it's, we, especially here at our store, we actually have a higher uh, hormone replacement therapy client in the female. The challenges is they start gaining weight, they have metabolic syndrome, all of these challenges they were seeing, we couldn't solve that in the fitness industry. So I knew we had to do something different. So for me, I was one of the early biohackers, right? I would I was doing all these crazy things. Like people talk about, you know, the ice tubs and 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 saunas and, and intermittent fasting, all these trendy things you hear about. Um, I, I've been doing you know all, some of these things for quite a long time. NAD, everyone's talking about now certain supplements. Like so, early biohackers were doing a lot of this stuff years ago. You know, keto me, you know menu plans, keto diets. People talk about now getting into ketosis. Like most people that were really into this knew about all this stuff, knew about getting away from sugar, about you know keeping inflammation down and cortisol levels and if you're paying attention to it. So I started spending time at some of those trade shows and learning more about that industry, um, going to some of the anti-aging conferences because I was really into it. And then I realized that, wow, this is not only awesome for me, but every time I was at a dinner, I was out somewhere with friends at a barbecue, same conversations over and over with my peer group. And they're like, how do you look the way you look? How did your wife look? How she looks? What do you guys do? And they all had the same complaints. I'm tired. I don't feel good. I don't want to have sex anymore. I'm, I'm losing my hair. My, 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 my skin's creepy. Um, I, I'm gaining weight when I'm still working out. What, you know, what's going on? Nothing works anymore. Like all of the same stuff. I'm achy in the morning. I have brain fog. 
And I'm just thinking stress, but I'm like, oh, God, I'll go get a blood work done with a hormone panel and make sure it includes all of these things. You know? So it wound up being not just a solution for my own, you know, circle, but then I realized, wow, this is a great business opportunity. How can this work for this at scale for the masses? And then, you know, that's when my franchise or hack comes on, like, oh gosh, you know, you know, we got to get scale. We got to grow this. We got to build, you know, so then I just like went into like, you know, that, you know, operations mode of like, and it took me, I mean, to be honest with you, Josh, it took me two and a half years to create the model that we sit in today. I mean, we, I spent all of COVID. So you asked, building it during COVID. Most people took a blow during COVID. They had no choice, right? They had, you know, their business got closed or something happened. I had worked harder during COVID than I have in my entire career. I was doing 18 hour days because I was working with a software company that was over in India. So I was doing overnights. Like my wife would walk in my office like midnight. She goes, what are you doing? You're just sitting down with a cup of coffee. I'm like, yeah, I got to clock in. I'm like, I'm going to be on the phone for the next four hours with India. She's like, what's wrong with you? Like, why are we doing this again? Like, like we laugh about it, but you know how passionate I was and she's super supportive of me. But, you know, we, we made a lot of jokes about it, but I had really worked very, very hard building what today is a fascinating business model. Okay, so I want to dive into the model of serotonin centers. But before that, because you'd mentioned this, I want to get your opinion on this. You know, you talk about all the different, you know, fads and whatnot, you know, the Atkins diet, intermittent fasting, all that kind of stuff. And you know, that's all out there right now. Everybody sees it. What, in your opinion, I mean, do they all work to a certain degree if they're executed on? Do they all, they all seem to kind of have, as you said, I mean, there's a premise there, right? I mean, you're cutting down on sugars, you're cutting down on some of the bad carbs, you know, you're getting out there and exercising. Um, you know, what do you think about some of these things like the intermittent fasting, which is really popular right now? Is that something that, that works? Is that something that's a, a short term step to a long term? plan is that a lifestyle that can be withstained you know over withstood over over a period of time I and mean, what, what are your thoughts on those sorts of things that you've seen i think some of the tools are fantastic and they work really really well and and a short i'm going to give you a long answer to a short question right the short answer though is if it's working for you it's working right so some people do really well in super low carbohydrate environments and on a smaller eating window so that's the premise of intermittent fasting a smarter eating window where you're you're fasting maybe a 16 8 where you're fasting for 16 hours and you're feeding for eight hours some people do a circadian fast where it's sundown you know to you know you know the sun up is when you, you you're fasting and then sun up you're eating and so there's lots of different things that work for individual people. There's some people that do well in a good complex carbohydrate type model. Um, it's rare because most people overconsume in those environments. It's just tough to sit down with a bowl of rice and only eat that bowl of rice. If it's supposed to be just a small portion of rice, you want to be eating too much or pasta, the same thing, and bread's the same thing. It just becomes very complicated very quickly and controlling is, it becomes, portion control becomes really difficult. And we have found that most people say they feel better, especially inflammation wise, on the lower carbohydrate type menu plants. That being said, um, it's super individualized. We don't just guess at that stuff. So we do a lot of stuff with blood work uh, to see you know, cortisol levels, inflammation, CRP, which is C-reactive protein. Um, if that's elevated, like what's elevating that and what's causing certain things. So we take more of a scientific approach with our clients, especially in our weight control part of our brand. Uh, we do hormone replacement therapy. We do weight control. We do uh, restorative stuff, immunity. And then we also do aesthetics. So in that weight control component, we really dive in deep on menu planning, exercise and activity, and then medications to, to modulate your hunger and your appetite. 
Yeah, and I, I think, and I, I think it goes without saying, and this will be the, you know, nothing, nothing on this podcast is medical advice. So obviously, if you're looking at trying to change things, go talk to your doctor because everybody's, you know, metabolic makeup is different. Um, it, but you know, it's interesting because you know there's just so many different things out there, right? And some things work for some people. So I, I've always followed, you know, where I've heard numerous times people will say the average person. You know, I've got a full-time day job. Doesn't have enough time um, to work out to the extent to burn enough to where it really comes out to you want to do moderate to good exercise um, on a consistent basis. But it really comes down to what you put in your body. You know, what you're putting into your body is going to dictate in large part. I mean, do you, do you agree with that? You can't out exercise a bad diet. That's a rule of thumb in the gym industry. <laughs> you got to have a good diet plan. There's no doubt about it. Um, the amount of activity is important. Listen, movement is important. Strength training is super important. We tell all our clients part of our weight control membership really is programming nutrition and exercise and activity into the plan. And we tell them that you've got to get moving. Uh, and there's a ton of neurological benefits as well to strength training. So, you, you know, women and men both should be strength training. You know, cardiovascular workout, of course, is great. Calorie burn, important. Uh, but you've got to, you've got to put some resistance against your body. It's great for bone density. We've known that for decades and decades, osteopenia, osteoporosis. But um, there's also a lot of other tremendous benefits to adding muscle mass to your body as you as you age. So with serotonin centers, um, you're you're obviously trying to get, it sounds like the Generation X type clientele. Is that fair? I mean, I'm a Generation X. So I'm a Generation Xer. So, you know, I'm, I'm mid-40s, you know, whatnot in that period where I sort of feel like, God, my body, like you said, you know, you go do something that it's like, wow, the recovery time takes longer. You just feel things just happen. You can't do the things that you felt like you you were able, even though in your head you might think you were able to do it. Um, so, so talk about as you got serotonin uh, centers going. I mean, obviously, what's one thing that's an interesting component here is that it crosses over into a medical sphere, right? I mean, so you're talking about, you know, non-medical components, but also medical components to it um, that tie in. How, how did you deal with that and address that from a franchise perspective, just in terms of how you looked at the overall model? And Josh, that's probably what took so long to build this. I'm a pretty resourceful human, right? I've done this three times now. This is my third franchise. And it, building a business is something I do very, very well. I, I know how to create a brand, create a business. What was interesting about this one, which took so long, even with all the resources I have and all the capital I have, it is a crossover that has never been done at any level that would be, I think, franchisable. Um, and, and that's why we haven't seen anything like it yet. We're taking a um, a retail business, a service business, a medical business, and then we put it into this really interesting, aesthetically pleasing environment, um, service-oriented super concierge um, with a lot of technology wrapped around it, too. So all of those components, each individual one took a really long time, just the software. There was no software that existed that could manage this because it has to be HIPAA compliant. But I, you know, coming from the gym industry, there's all kinds of great billing softwares, incredible uh, POS platforms. But none of them have the HIPAA compliance. So we found a software company that has that. Um, they were great in Asia, right? They're huge there. Um, coming into the States, they were growing. But I had to spend time teaching them how to do membership, creating membership, recurring revenue model billing into the software, as well as having these, these you know, these, quote, firewalls for HIPAA compliance, for information for the, for the, for the client. And we iterated that software, oh my gosh, I can tell you how many times to get it to a place where it was actually usable. 
in, in, in the industry. So we've got like kind of like a customized version of that software and we keep iterating it, reporting, especially on reporting because we're really data driven, right? So we want really good reporting, especially on our frequency, our visits, our membership information, what people are doing, how they're doing, how, you know, how they're performing with inside of memberships. And none of the people in those industries ever cared about that because even neuromedical doctors not following up with you the way we would follow up with you. Like we're, we have, you know, lean body, we're, we're doing an in-body scan. We're finding out about your, your lean body mass, your visceral fat, your body. I mean, we're tracking all kinds of stuff, not just your weight and, you know, your blood pressure, right? So getting a, a, a software platform just to do that was uh, an enormous lift for us. So uh, walk me through. On, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Keep going. And then just, and then, then putting that into all of the components of, you know, operations, marketing, you know, you know strategy, like all of these things that, you know, you got to check all these boxes in, in the franchise world. Well, that ties, yeah, that ties in the question I was just going to ask, which is, you know, walk me through this model, right? If I'm, if I'm, you know, this is, this is a, a podcast, obviously. So people are listening to this. Let's give them a visual. If they walk into a serotonin centers, what can they expect? I mean, what's that, what's that going to look and feel like as you go into it? So it's like we're like maybe like Equinox, the Ritz Carlton, and your doctor's office kind of met, <laughs> like and intersected. Like so, they're, hey, it so all they're sounded good. Right? Wait, wait, it all sounded good until you said the doctor's <laughs> office. That's what I was, it all sounded good until then. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. So we, we know our facilities are really beautiful, and they're designed with intention, right? We, we hired one of the best designers in, in, in all of the industries uh, to create our our space for us, but we wanted to make it feel. Um, a better place where you can spend some time, share, because you do visit and frequent here sometimes more often than you would your, you'd see a regular doctor, if at all, maybe once a year, most people. Um, here, you're, you're coming a little more often, especially if you're in one of our programs, you might be visiting weekly to get one of your, your, your procedures or your injections or something, or your, your, your skinny shot. You might get uh, an intramuscular skinny shot weekly, um, or you might be here every couple of months just to get your, your, your hormone pellets or your Botox or whatever it is. But while you're here, while you're, you know, we've got, you know, Netflix and Hulu and Apple TV playing in your room with for you. You can binge watch whatever you want while you're getting a procedure done. Uh, we've made it really fun for people to want to spend time here while they do some of our body sculpting things like cool sculpting. They might be here for a couple of hours. Uh, we'll bring in their luncheon on a beautiful white and gold tray and we'll let them have lunch here as well as while they're binge watching, you know, whatever they want to watch. <laughs> so we do a lot of, um, intentional things with our design uh so people don't view it as ah they gotta go to the doctor and you know they get that uneasy feeling and what's happening because remember people are here because they want to be here not because they have to be here so it's a different business model when it comes to medical that medical aspect of it people come to us because they want to make certain changes because they want to they want to have that vitality. They want to have that youthfulness. They want to have what you just mentioned. I'm getting older. I feel a little sore. I can't do the things I used to be able to do. I'm 49 years old. I can still out-train my 20-year-old son of the gym and all of his friends, right? I mean, and we laugh about it and kid about it. But that's something that I'm really proud of because I really tuned my body to a certain point to do that. Um, I, I lay on a, a red light stim bed three times a week to keep my inflammation down so I can train really intensely when I do my HIIT training. Um, I biohack myself so I and I do almost all of the things that we do with serotonin, um, a lot of it um, came from things I, I integrate myself into. I always say you shouldn't start a business unless you actually interact with that same business. I don't think you should own a Dunkin' Donuts unless you like coffee or love coffee. <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> Did, tell me the membership side of the business side of this. So obviously you come from you come from the gyms. Um, and by the way, real quick, you said three business. So you you have uh, serotonin retro. What's the third one you started? 
So we had a, 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 at a brief time, I created a yogurt franchise. We opened up like 24 units out of 11 months. And then we, the private equity partners had a time. We had then flipped and sold that to another conglomerate. So it got acquired really quickly. Okay. And then, and then you got into the fitness. Okay. So, um, yeah, obviously, on the fitness model, you're dealing with uh, monthly subscriptions. You're doing with re- renewal or re- revenue, uh, renewing every month and whatnot, which is a great model, right? Because you you build it off of volume, and if you can keep, if you can get enough people there, you have consistent revenues, and then if you can manage expenses and all that, you know, you you know the model, and it and it and it does work. Sounds like you've you've dovetailed off of that into serotonin to deal to to do a, a sort of a membership subscription type model. But I'm curious. Is that model just a monthly fee that they pay, or is it a monthly fee to be part of that? And then as they get different treatments and so forth, are there additional charges? Or how does the actual model work for the consumer? That's a great question. So coming from an industry where you truly had to exchange service and value for your money in a membership, I kept that tried and true to that. So I found that most people that do like these med spas and, you know, these IV places, like they're not real memberships in the sense that I, of the world I come from, where I believe we deliver on membership. These places do like Costco or Amazon does. You have a membership, you pay a fee, you just get discounts or access. We are way deeper than that. So our memberships include services, they include medications, they include, they include all kinds of stuff in part of it. Now, discounts are a part of that. So you have access to other things that we do that you can do at a discount, other services. You want to get a hydrofacial, if you want to get um, a microneedling done, a PRP microneedling or hair restoration done. Uh, and, but if you're in our hormone replacement therapy membership, our vital membership, you're getting your hormones, you're getting delivered to your home, um, unless you're on pellets, we come here and we do the pellet insertions every three months. Super convenient. Um, if you're in our weight loss membership, you're getting your medication, you're getting your tissue guidance, everything's going into your app. We're giving you a ton of service there. Um, you get access to um, getting our in-body scans. So you can learn, you know, see how you're progressing with your lean body mass, your body composition, right? Your lean body mass, your visceral fat, your water retention, all that other good stuff. So we're returning value in membership the way it's supposed to be done. And these are going to be in retail type locations or what's the ideal location where you're looking at? Yes, exactly. So we look, we want to be, let's say the Lululemon of retail. We go to AAA type spaces. We are, we don't hide in uh, office medical. I say hide because that's generally what happens. Um, a lot of this stuff is no longer taboo. Like back in the day, getting Botox, like no one wanted to like tell anybody they got Botox. Like, it was a secret. <laughs> like I can remember like... Go to the building like, that has no sign, nondescript yeah, sign. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Was, uh, now these people are putting their like Botox injections literally on Instagram while it's happening in video, right? So it's just so <laughs> different than it was just a few years ago. So, and and is the idea here that um, are you are you growing this across the country? Maybe you're just trying to. Is that the goal to grow this? Okay, who's the ideal franchisee? Before we, because I always you know on these interviews, I want to find out from the consumer side. I also want to find out, you know, you, this isn't your first rodeo, Eric. You've been doing this, and you 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 could probably give a a, a lesson, uh, a great lesson on you know, how important it is as a franchisor, especially as a newer franchisor, to get the right people on the bus to start, to get the right franchisees in the system because they can make or break you. I see it over and over again in my line of work. I'm sure you see it as well. Part of that, though, is understanding who you're trying to attract, who are the people you want in your system, and who are the folks that, that, that maybe aren't going to be a good fit. So for, for, for serotonin centers, talk to me about who's a good fit as a franchisee. 
So th- this rolls off the tongue quite easy. I, just this morning, we had franchise candidates in here this morning, and, and we always stay on Discovery Day. You're interviewing us, but we're really, actually really interviewing you, especially for this brand, because I've done this you know, you know, often. right? This is like something I, I understand at a deep level, and I do understand how hard it can be for a budding franchise or a new concept um, that really wants to get started. So they want to sell units, they want to get stores open, and they risk so much by making the really harsh mistake of bringing in the wrong people. Like you said, Jim Collins, right? Wrong people on the bus, especially let alone the wrong seats. They don't even belong on the bus. They belong on the street where the bus stop is, let alone, you know, they shouldn't even be near you. So, and that happens a lot in this business, right? Uh, for me, um, our candidate, we know there's a few things we look to see. Like, obviously, a well-capitalized group is important. We, we're doing a lot of multi-unit development, right? So we are... Um, it's much more difficult to build a franchise in onesies, twosies, and I've done that, so I know from experience, um, especially at scale. So people that are well capitalized, uh, generally they've already run and operated another business at multi-unit level, so they understand the difference between a single unit versus five units of a business, and it could be um, hamburger stand. You know, I've got five X Y Z, or it could be I like we have a group that owns fifteen uh, pediatric dental places that are our franchisees and. Southern Virginia that just signed for a 10-unit deal. So we look at really your capitalization, of course, but your background of your business experience and acumen, and then your passion for our culture and our brand, right? You know, I'm really big now more than ever probably on culture and who's in the room. Uh, because as you know, in franchising, one bad apple can spoil a whole bunch real quick. And it really can ruin an experience for a lot of others just because um, they didn't understand what they got themselves into. So we screen really harsh on that stuff. Uh, and we don't just say, hey, what's your net worth? And, and that's great on the website just to get you through the door. But we really got to have a conversation. And I, and I personally will interview all of them, every one of them. And that's important because I want, I want to know certain things. So if... If you want to find out more about Serotonin Centers, you can go to www.serotonincenters.com. That's www.serotonincenters.com. I got just a couple more questions for you, Eric. Thank you for for being generous with your time today. Um, Tell me where you feel, if, if you were to summarize or sum up this brand, what is the ultimate message you want to convey to people who are contemplating either becoming a franchisee of it um, or becoming a, a consumer of the services? I mean, what are you trying to um, get across to people through this brand? Well, I think it's our passion for health and wellness and and the space of health span. So if you think about health span and lifespan, so lifespan is the length of years in your life. And then health span is the quality of those years in that life. So we're trying to improve upon health span. Which will intentionally, obviously, it will it will improve upon lifespan as well. So we want people that are really passionate, and, and sometimes and a lot of it is the people that came from the fitness industry. And when you think about, it, they loved like health and fitness, and they got into it for that reason. Whether they're an exerciser in, in one of our gyms or any gym, or they're a, a business owner in that in that industry, it's people that care about that. But it's also important to understand that we're also like a luxury brand as well, right? So we're we're doing this at a very high end. It's very concierge. It's um, if people, it's high touch. Like people really want to have that. Know they're being cared for, and we don't see eight, ninety, hundred people a day. We don't. We don't want that. That's that's like some of your dock in the box places. They're just milling and clipping off. You know, copays. We're not. We're a cash oriented business, so we can focus on 
15 or 20 clients in a, in a day and make sure that when they get the service they need and make sure they're talking to the right practitioners that they need. Um, so for us, it's a different type of, think of a big box gym versus a studio gym, right? You know, one is a little more, it's, it's smaller yet intimate. And the other one is just bigger and broader. Both, both have value, right? They both do something great, but we're more in that more intimate space. Since you've done this several times now, I think this is a good question for us to finish on. You know, as a franchisor, you, nobody's ever created and grown a franchise and, and, and not had issues along the way or, or problems that you got to deal with. What I'm curious about is if, if you think back you know, to the folks out there who are contemplating turning their business into a franchise or just otherwise looking at growing their businesses, you know, what, what sort of a piece of, of advice you would give before turning to a franchise model? What's some of like, you know, as you learned over the years, what's the most important thing from your perspective before you make the full decision to commit to turning your business to a franchise? And Josh, I've had this conversation consultively with many, many budding franchisors. And the first thing is, is you better build that business for yourself at least one to two units. I've had people that say, oh, I'm going to build the business and franchise at the same time. And I think that's an utter failure move because you have to remember when you're a franchisor, you're no longer in the B2C business. You're in the B2B business. You care about the B2C, but your real customer is your franchisee. So you have to worry about servicing them. So if you were great at, at uh, let's say you were a great plumber and you were excellent at that that widget of, of turning you with sweating a pipe, you've got to now be able to manage a person that has to do the same processes. Um, and Michael Gerber's Emith book is a great book for anyone to read if they have it, right? To understand these, these, these categories of people in, in styles of where they may belong. Franchisor is a different industry. It is a different business. You are no longer in the industry that you were in of your business that you're franchising. That's a dynamic that some people have a hard time wrapping themselves around. They just think, oh, I'm going to keep opening these to other people. If you're really good at your business, Raise capital and open up corporate stores and be a corporate store entity. There's just as much value. You could, you might build a little slower, might be a little bit of a different path, but you'll have you know, certain controls. You know, remember franchising, you're going to give over a layer of controls to what you might think is your baby and you got to be comfortable with that. Uh, or you got to be able to handle and manage people. You're a people manager at that point at a very high level. Well, I think that's a really good answer from the, this perspective is I, I often have conversations with my clients about that, that, you know, when they're becoming franchisors and trying to look down the road and see what's on the horizon, the biggest thing I see and the biggest challenge for most entrepreneurs who are so used to starting something, building it, it's their baby, is to make that mental shift from focusing on their one location or two locations or even maybe three or four locations to now focusing on the entire brand as it grows. Um, and that's a, that takes time. I mean, it's not, it's not something that you just read a book on. It's not something. And because it's, you have to change your mentality of how you view the business. And to your point, yeah, that's why it's so important to decide, look, there's no right or wrong way to grow a business. Franchise is one element of that. And I tell people that all the time. It's one opportunity to grow it with other people's money. But there's a lot of people out there who would not do well with that model. And those people should grow it corporately and stay away from it. So it's just as much as a franchisor is looking to identify who are good franchisees, a franchisor or a person who's contemplating becoming a franchisor needs to know for sure that they fit that mold as well in order to grow it. Yeah, agreed. 
Well, thanks again, Eric, for coming on. I really appreciate it. I think it's been a valuable episode. And once again, if you want to learn more about serotonin centers, you can go to www.serotoninCenters.com. Thanks so much and best of luck to you in the future. Thank you, Josh. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of Franchise Euphoria. If you enjoyed it, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review. It really helps to get this show out to more and more people. Also, if you have any questions, have ideas for guests or topics, please email me, josh at IndieFranchiseLaw.com. That's josh at Indy, I-N-D-Y, FranchiseLaw.com. And finally, please note that this podcast is for entertainment and educational purposes and is not in any way, shape, or form meant to be any kind of legal advice. If you're seeking legal advice, please contact a lawyer. Have a great one. Happy franchising.